It's Saturday night in glitzy Los Angeles, and the city is buzzing with excitement for a new band that's taking the music world by storm. Their performance is big, bold, colorful, and truly electrifying. The band hits the stage and the crowd is flooded with neon, wild fashion, and above all, memorable music. And it's all fronted by one incredible performer. But little do we know, this unique performer is actually living a double life. Not a nefarious one, but one devoted to helping others. Despite opposition by a rival band and the cutthroat music industry, they overcome obstacles in their attempt to conquer the music industry. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, we look back at what happens when you combine MTV, Transformers, excessive commercialism, and a whole lot of neon. This is a story of Gem and the Holograms. Gem and the Holograms is an animated musical kid show that first debuted in 1985. Based on the model of prior shows like Transformers and G.I. Joe, this show was used as a launching platform to introduce the characters for a subsequent toy and merchandise line. But unlike those other shows, it was musical and featured unique songs to capitalize on the growing popularity of MTV and music videos. Gem and the Holograms was a unique collaboration between some powerhouse production companies. But first, let me give you a quick synopsis of what this show was all about. Gem and the Holograms follows the story of Jerrica Benton, owner of Starlight Music, a successful talent agency in Hollywood, California. She has her sister Kimber and was left Starlight Music and a mansion by her father. The two of them along with a few more members, become Jem and the Holograms, a rock band that dominates the charts. Jem quickly becomes one of the most famous performers in the world. Besides Jem, the group is made up of Jerrica's sister Kimber, along with Rhea, Aja, and Shayna. The success and money of the band allows Jerrica to fund the Starlight Foundation, which is a charity that supports an orphanage called Starlight House. So, how does Jerrica make this transformation into pop superstar Gem? Well, unlike someone like Prince Adam of Eternia who turns into He-Man by the power of Castle Grayskull, Jerrica gets help from a supercomputer called Synergy. Who or what are you? I am Synergy, a holographic computer designed to be the ultimate audio-visual entertainment synthesizer. Your father spent years developing me. Father made you? Yes, and now I belong to you. I can generate completely realistic holograms, like this. This AI-style computer creates lifelike holograms all around Gem when she's wearing her starlight earrings. When we see Jem, we are witnessing a hologram over the body of Jerrica. One way to look at Synergy in the series is like a robotic fairy godmother. So all this fame and fortune was really for a good cause. But like any good hero, there has to be an adversary. In this case, it's the group The Misfits, not to be confused with the epic real-life punk rock band of the same name. 
The cartoon misfits are part of misfit music started by Eric Raymond, a corrupt corporate executive who used to work with Jem's father. There are also the Stingers, a German band we meet in season three. The band members of all the groups are the epitome of 1980s fashion and music. We see a lot of pastels, neon colors, and guitars. That's the synopsis of the show. And performance-wise, there's some pretty interesting talent associated with Gem and the Holograms. The characters often had different performers for the singing and speaking roles. Jem's speaking voice was performed by English voice actor Samantha Newark, and the singing voice was performed by American singer-songwriter Britta Phillips. Pizzazz, for example, the lead singer of The Misfits, was voiced by Patricia Alice Albrecht, who also voiced characters in shows like The Snorks and the short-lived New Kids on the Block animated series. The singing voice for Pizzazz was performed by Ellen Bernfeld. Riot, the lead singer of The Stingers, was voiced by Townsend Coleman, who not only was the voice of Michelangelo in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, but also voiced Wayne Gretzky on the iconic Pro Stars cartoon series. The series went through many storylines and tackled somewhat dramatic tones, so much that it was considered one of the first soap operas for kids. So what led to the creation of this extremely memorable and beloved cartoon series? As we enter the 1980s, we enter an era of kids' content that had never been seen before. I've covered this more in my previous episodes about Transformers and G.I. Joe, but as we begin the decade, restrictions in advertising to children are about to be lifted. And this is what allows for a tidal wave of new pop culture. Networks, toy companies, and animation studios no longer have any restrictions on what they can create and direct to children, and it creates the wild west of not only advertising, but of new licensed characters. Shows like G.I. Joe, Transformers, and He-Man capitalized on this and simply became a rinse-and-repeat situation. Cartoons, which used to have a ton of restrictions on them, could now be nothing more than 22-minute commercials to sell kids action figures, dolls, vehicles, playsets, and anything they could stuff into the show. Three heavyweight companies, Hasbro, Marvel, and Sunbow Entertainment, gave us Gem and the Holograms. These are companies that pretty much gave us a lot of our childhood in the 80s, as all three are absolute cornerstones of pop culture. Sunbow, the animation studio, changed our TVs in the 80s, giving us cartoons like Transformers, My Little Pony, G.I. Joe, The Glow Friends, and even a few lesser-known hits such as Robotics, Inhumanoids, and Potato Head Kids. Some of these shows were not massive hits, but others, obviously Transformers, G.I. Joe, and My Little Pony, are defining 1980s franchises. These properties are so big that they are still being made to this day, 40 years after they first debuted. This was a time when there was so much competition and marketing possibilities that toy and production companies gave anything a shot. Just throw everything to the wall and see what sticks. It seems like there was barely time to breathe or do extensive market research. With so much competition out there and with fewer restrictions, also with limited networks and time slots, you had to make a splash and make it quick. An animated series about a kid that morphs into a sports car? Call it Turbo Teen and Greenlight It. A show about a sentient Rubik's Cube simply called Rubik, The Amazing Cube? 
We need it yesterday. Transforming armored vehicles called the Mobile Army Strike Command or MASK for short? I don't see why not. It seemed like nothing was too extreme to try to make into a cartoon series and then a toy and product line. Even if there wasn't time to create a toy line, just get a cartoon out there for Saturday mornings to generate the commercial revenue and syndication fees. It truly was the Wild West. So then, what are the origins of Gem and the Holograms? The influence behind the show is pretty simple. Capitalize on the popularity of MTV, but for a younger crowd, make it a cartoon and sell as much merchandise as possible. It had already worked with Transformers and G.I. Joe. Let's give it another shot. We'll do a little more on this merchandise side coming up in a bit. But interestingly, this concept of a cartoon music video show for kids had already been attempted before in a show called Kid Video. I've covered this in a previous episode if you want to go back into my earlier episodes, but Kid Video was a live-action animated musical cartoon released in 1984. It used genuine musical artists who performed music and the voices for the cartoon versions of themselves. One of the band members was played by Robbie Rist, who you may remember as Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch and was the voice of Michelangelo in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films. Kid Video attempted to create an MTV for Kids format to air on Saturday mornings. Episodes featured cartoon segments along with live-action videos of original songs along with popular covers. Kid Video was interesting as it appeared later on Saturday mornings and bridged the gap between the end of the cartoon portion of the morning and the move into live-action shows. If you grew up with Kid Video, you knew it was the unofficial sign that Saturday morning cartoons were over for the day. Kid Video only lasted for 26 episodes, but seemed to pave the way for Gem and the Holograms. But this time, with way more production power behind it, the format of a cartoon MTV would work. And this all came together thanks to the incredible Christy Marks. You might not know the name, but this woman is a key writer behind many of the beloved cartoons you grew up with. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally, and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Christy Marks, who is also an author and video game designer, worked on shows like Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, The New Fantastic Four, G.I. Joe, Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars, the dystopian live-action TV show-slash-video game Captain Power, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Marx was the driving force behind Gem and the Holograms. But at first, Gem wasn't launched with a full series. I mentioned how the early to mid-80s was a time to throw everything at the wall to see what would stick, and Gem was introduced in a unique manner. Sunbow and Marvel teamed up to create what I knew as Super Saturday, 
You may know this as Super Week or Super Sunday. Whatever name you knew it, this was a half hour time block featuring four different cartoons of about six to seven minutes in length. One of these segments was Gem and the Holograms. 15 different segments were produced over the various half hour shows. This Super Saturday, Super Sunday, Super Week was the perfect vehicle to introduce prospective new shows and gauge the audience's reaction. Consider it like a tryout for a full animated series. It was like four pilot episodes all at once. This was a more cost-effective way to introduce a new series without having to commit to the full production required for a single half-hour show. But at the same time, the shorter segments gave them enough time to introduce the main characters and the backstory of the shows. All in all, this was a pretty stealthy marketing approach. Gem was by far the most popular of the Super Saturday features, which led to the creation of the full series. But remember, the whole point of this cartoon and the majority of all cartoons in the 80s was to sell products in a way that was never possible before. In the case of Gem and the Holograms, the original merchandise was based around dolls. The Hassenfeld Brothers Company, better known as Hasbro, created the dolls and just like Transformers, G.I. Joe and My Little Pony, created a backstory and mythology behind Gem. This was key to the success of these iconic toy lines as a backstory gives the characters more identity and history, which allows us as kids to better connect emotionally with them. A backstory in history allows for more investment and eventually a desire to own these things for ourselves. A transforming robot is cool, but when you find out it's an alien robotic race from the planet of Cybertron with adversaries called Decepticons, that toy becomes much more interesting and engaging to interact with. It was the same thing with Gem. A rocker doll is cool enough on its own, but that's as far as it goes. If you find out that it's actually a performer with a hidden identity that uses a space-age computer for her performance, all of a sudden, it's much more engaging. But Gem was going to go far more than just dolls of the main characters. Hasbro intended to slap the Gem logo on everything. Lunchboxes, playsets, stickers, posters, bedsheets, and pretty much any consumer good you can think of but the dolls would still be the cornerstone of the show. Hasbro created some simple mock-ups and Christy Marks created the Gem and the Holograms backstory and essentially the whole Gem universe, if you will. Marks would also write more than a third of all the episodes. She was the perfect person to create this new world. Using insight from her previous success, she was able to create something to capture a wide audience. Gem and the Holograms would feature elements that would draw everyone in. It had technology, fashion, science fiction, action-adventure, and above all, the music. MTV had been on the air for about four years and music videos were incredibly hot. Considered a unique thing at the time, even though Kid Video already kind of did it, Gem and the Holograms would feature music videos spliced throughout the shows. The music videos would connect with the story, but be presented similarly to the videos we saw in MTV. And there was no bigger song than the theme song. Ooh, and glitter, and fame, 
Besides the iconic theme song, over the course of the series, the show created an astonishing 187 music videos. The show also paid tribute to some real-life bands. They aren't mentioned by name exactly, but through alternatives such as the moss-covered Stones, Twisted Brother, and the Rumones. In one of the episodes, you can even see a Pink Floyd poster on a wall in an alleyway. The Gem and the Holograms cartoon first debuted on October 6, 1985 and did not take long to catch on. It soon hit number three for highest rated syndicated kids show. And by November 1986, it was number one. And since it was syndicated, this presented an interesting dynamic. The show was carried by independent TV stations. They received the show for free in exchange for one condition. They had to run the Hasbro toy ads at no charge. But since Gem and the Holograms was a massive success rating-wise, this arrangement worked out well for everybody. And of course, the Gem merchandise was also a huge hit. She's also Jerrica, the president of Starlight Music. But only her friends, the holograms, Kimber, Aja, and Shayna, know that Jerrica's also Jim. The clothes are so sharp. Her gym star earrings are the ultimate. The music is totally awesome. Jim comes with Jim and Jerrica outfits. Kimber, Aja, and Shayna sold separately with cassettes from Hasbro. According to Toy and Hobby World magazine, by October 1986, Gem Dolls were the 10th best-selling toy. A 2014 article in Collectors Weekly states that over 3 million dolls were sold. Here's another interesting note from Collectors Weekly that you may remember if you ever owned a Gem Doll. Each one came with a cassette tape of the truly outrageous theme song, and the sales of which would have made the song triple platinum. The dolls had bright, colorful, and bold packaging, and this was very strategic branding, as it allowed Gem and the Holograms dolls to stand out from Mattel's Barbie. Not surprisingly, Mattel didn't take this lying down. You may remember Barbie and the Rockers. Released not long after the success of Gem, Mattel created its own alternatives and followed up these toys with several direct-to-video films. The first one being Barbie and the Rockers, Out of This World, released in 1987. This was supposed to be its own pilot for a weekday Barbie cartoon series, but negotiations fell through. The fact Gem was such a threat to the powerhouse Mattel company and the timeless and iconic Barbie doll was pretty significant. Gem was a big enough threat that it forced Mattel to alter its Barbie line. That's a pretty remarkable feat for a toy and show that was barely a year old. TV-wise though, Gem remained the true rocker and was still in the top three highest rated syndicated cartoons in 1987. Gem and the Holograms was now airing five days a week, attracting 2.5 million viewers. The show was also a huge hit here in Canada, the UK, Australia, Italy, and France. But going into 1987, sales of the toy lines started to slow. The issue Gem had compared to, say, Barbie was that Gem was one-dimensional. The character may have had two identities, but she was always a rock star. 
Barbie was everything. Lawyer, astronaut, farmer, or anything Mattel could think of to capitalize on and profit off of. The characters of Gem and the Holograms were stuck in one genre, and there were only so many musical accessories or concert stage play sets you could release. For kids collecting Gem and the Holograms toys, it didn't take long to get everything you needed. A toy line like G.I. Joe, for example, had the ability to not only release hundreds of characters, but every type of vehicle you can think of. It didn't really make sense for Gem to own a helicopter, aircraft carrier, or hovercraft. G.I. Joe lent itself to that throw-everything-at-the-wall mentality to see what sticks, and they released some bizarre creations, a few including the Ice Cream Soldier and the Hammerhead Vehicle, which basically combined all of Cobra's existing vehicles and smashed them into one new vehicle. By the end of 1987, dwindling toy sales forced Hasbro to pull the plug on the toy line. But the cartoon series still had some life in it and continued on finishing up on May 2nd, 1988 for a total of 65 episodes. That's also the same day when Pete Rose was suspended for 30 days for pushing an umpire. But we all know Gem and the Holograms didn't disappear forever. There were a few more toy and comic releases, and then a full live-action movie in 2015. In an attempt to jump on the reboot bandwagon happening with other 1980s franchises like Transformers, G.I. Joe, and the Ninja Turtles, the Gem movie didn't do too well. It feels well-suited for its own rebooted animated series, but due to failure of the movie, there may be some trepidation about a future release. I do think this is an ideal franchise to bring back as it has such a timeless legacy. This seemed proven in 2018 with the very well-received 30-minute fan film called Truly Outrageous, a Gem fan film. Gem and the Holograms was a huge deal in my household. I have a younger sister, so she frustratingly got TV priority. I would have to wait to get to my shows after she watched hers. Since there wasn't anything else to do, I begrudgingly sat through some of her favorites. But Gem and the Holograms was actually good and intriguing. You couldn't ignore the music or the presentation of it. We knew that music videos and MTV were cool, and this cartoon was able to capture this, but present it in its own unique way. There weren't any other cartoons out there as creative and unique as Gem and the Holograms. Yes, this show was a marketing promotional tool meant to sell toys. It was a continuation of that Hasbro, Marvel, Sunbow formula that worked so well with G.I. Joe and Transformers. But the show at least created some substance. Besides the charitable aspect of Jerrica Benton, Gem and the Holograms dealt with themes of tolerance and understanding. The show displayed true morality. Their music promoted love and acceptance. And that music was actually pretty good, as was the animation. Some incredibly talented people were behind Gem and the Holograms, and it shows through the storylines, themes, and prolific music. So how do you sum up Gem and the Holograms? It was part Transformers, part Madonna, Cyndi Lauper, MTV, and rock music all rolled into one. The character of Jem, or Jerrica Benton, was also presented in a socially conscious manner, and you didn't see a lot of that in 1980s kids' content on TV. 
the toys were actually breathing down the neck of Mattel. And all of this showed how quickly a new series and toy line could make a splash in the 80s. The show and the toys may not have lasted super long, but that's not the point. Gem and the Holograms made a definite impact in the 80s and created its own unique legacy. In a time when so many cartoons and toy lines came and went without much of an impact, Gem and the Holograms made a significant pop culture dent and continues to be loved and remembered to this day. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you liked what you heard, you know there's plenty more where that came from. I suggested some topics for further listening, but be sure to go back and visit my earlier episodes. There's a ton there to keep you covered. If you really like this show, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this on right now so you get updated every time I release a new episode. And if you're in a position to help the podcast grow, you can consider becoming a part of patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to bonus audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. So if you want to find out more about that, you can just head to patreon.com slash 80s, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s, or click on the link in the description. So that's it for me. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.